Two Geeks, Two Beers. Episode 33, Red Dwarf. The posse! The boys from the dwarf! If one of us is in a fix, the homeboys band together! That's the way it is! Have you got anything in writing? (laughs) (laughs) Ah! Explosive! It's gonna be the same for you. Oh no! (laughs) There's beer everywhere! (laughs) Cheers! Disaster! Cheers! I did have these beers in my bag for a few hours. That's probably what happened. What were you thinking, mate? You can't see, but maybe we should take a photo of this, because <laughs> this is ridiculous. Anyway, anyway, cheers. Cheers. So, my laptop is covered in beer, by the way. <laughs> I mean, two geeks, two beers, and sometimes a laptop. It was always going to happen. It was, at one point, our lap, one of our laptops was always going to get covered in beer. <laughs> what are you doing? Actually, can I eat it? It's like everywhere. Look at the screen. <laughs> You're... Tom's, la- Tom's laptop screen, uh, listener, is, is covered in beer. There we go. He's wiping it down. If you we thought speak. we were professional, that's all gone out the window. Sorry. I, I don't think anyone ever thought. Anyway, welcome to episode 33 wow. of Two Geeks, Two Beers, with me, Tom, and Morgan. Hello. Um, so this week we're taking uh, a TV series which is very close to my heart, mm. um, which is quite a tough nut to crack, the sci-fi comedy, TV sci-fi comedy. We all remember how good Hyperdrive was. Exactly. Um, we are taking the cult TV show, which is still running now, Red Dwarf. Woo! Way. Um, before we get into it, uh, the beers I've chosen, which we've spilt everywhere <laughs> in our makeshift studio, is um, a sort of space-themed beer. I was going to go for sort of. a red stripe mm. because it's red and Lister drinks lager and it's the kind of thing. <laughs> Lister but, drinks lager. Uh, it's called Pilot Project Pale mm. Ale. From Plato beer, I think it is, and it does have a little a little planet with a ring around yeah, it. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's sort of space age beer, space themed beer. So mm. in, enjoy this. Cheers. It also tastes weirdly like cigarettes. Oh god, I yeah. don't know what that's about. Um, I watched Red Dwarf from a very young age. Mm. Uh, my dad had VHS tapes of series one when I must have been about I don't know six or seven max, and I didn't understand any of the jokes at all. But I just loved the characters and all the spacey things. Yeah. And I just got really hooked into it. Yeah. Um, I similarly probably watched it at too young an age yeah. to really get all of it. But I loved the sci-fi of it. And I, as you say, the, the characters, the yeah. sort of charismatic performances. And I we eventually taped the first six series off the TV. Um, to explain to younger listeners what a tape what? was. <laughs> a VH, well, a VHS what, tape oh, Yeah, a VHS was. tape was. Um, you could preserve... Uh, <laughs> for, yeah, for prosperity um, uh, moments f- from your television yeah. onto uh, a VHS tape yeah. uh, often not, not in great quality no. uh, but you could fast forward and rewind you could rather than double clicking on a file it was, it was a brave new world yeah. or a brave yeah. old world and I watched that over and over and over again and just mm. loved it and it remains one of my all time favourite shows but so, what do you know and love about Red Dwarf? I'm, well, I'm, I'm quite. I don't think I'm quite as much of a fan of Red Dwarf as you are. But yeah. I am. A, I am a fan of Red Dwarf, more of a casual fan. Mm. Um, and I 
watched I think I started watching maybe somewhere on like series three mm. um, and then you know got into it loved loved uh, series five and series six which yeah. I'm sure you'll go into but for me those yeah, are like, they that's like the pinnacle that's, that's like peak dwarf yeah um, and I you know shame to say I haven't really kept up with it since it came back mm. so the last I saw of it was uh, series eight when series eight ended on BBC yeah. and I've not seen any of it since it came back on Dave it's been a mixed history since then, but mm, it, right, but right now I'd say it was as good as it possibly can be. <laughs> you know? It's as good as it possibly yeah. can be. So as I said, a sci-fi TV comedy is a tough kind of nut to. to, to what what else has even? I mean, has done it? I, I mean, was like, having a look. You got things like Mork and Mindy. Um, you got Futurama and Rick and Morty. You know. Yeah. But cartoons are different. Galaxy so Quest. A, yeah, but in terms of TV sci-fi, mm. Hyperdrive, which you mentioned, which was this Nick Frost. BBC sitcom in space. Gary Neville. Gary Neville, the inventor of artificial gravity. Now, little fact, he came up with the idea half time of the 2004 FA Cup semi final. But he didn't tell us all for 15 years until he'd perfected his equations. It's quite a nice story. It was, you know, I mean, we said it before, that sort of thing where I think we talked about it um, in the Doctor Who fill-ins two-parter. Yeah. Whereas, like, if you're going to do that... Bring back Red Wolf. Yeah. Well, well, at this point, the BBC had got rid of Red Wolf. Exactly. So it was like, yeah. the Doctor Who thing, it was like, if you're going to do that, just make Doctor exactly. Who. Exactly. Same if you're going to make Hyperdrive, yeah. just bring back Red Dwarf. And you got Seth MacFarlane's The Orville, which apparently mm. is sort of half drama, half comedy, but I doesn't it, know what it is. I think it's sort of half trying to be <coughs> Galaxy Quest, half Seth MacFarlane just in cosplay... <laughs> wanting to be Captain Kirk just got far too much power at Fox and just, just doing whatever he wants so I'd say though that Red Dwarf is by far the most successful TV sci-fi that's ever been I think so yeah. yeah so it first aired on BBC2 from 1988 to 1999 and on Dave which is this uh, sort of digital channel over here in the UK it's called Dave for all the American <laughs> listeners all the American listeners yeah uh, since 2009 and following the upcoming 12th series, which will air in October, there will have been 73 episodes in total. Wow. So, I mean, you know all this, but there's going to be lots of, uh, I'd like to think, uh, international listeners I'd, I'd tuning have, in. Well, yeah. You've well, never really checked out Red Dwarf. Possibly you'll get into it, but Red Dwarf's uh, history in America is interesting. Exactly. I mean, if you're a fan, you're going to be nerding out on this anyway. If yeah. you don't know, then it's going to be a history lesson. So, you know, Red Dwarf revolves around the mining ship Spaceship Red Dwarf. Red Dwarf. On Monday, Red Dwarf blasts off on an intergalactic mission manned by a select crew of... Well, take second technician Rimmer, for instance. He's a man devoted to duty. Is that a cigarette you're smoking, mister? No, it's a chicken. <laughs> right, you're on report. A man spurred on by ambition. Mister, I have an exam tomorrow which I intend to pass. I know, yeah, by cheating. This is not cheating. Why don't you hand your body in and let them mark that? A man misunderstood by his superiors and Lister. I try and expect Rimmer and everything, but it's not easy because he's such a smeg head. Lister, on the other hand, has no devotion to anything, little ambition, and is a source of constant surprise to everyone. Lister, not only are you so stupid, you bring aboard an unquarantined animal and jeopardize every man and woman on this ship. Not only that, but you take a photograph of yourself with the cat and send it to be processed in the ship's lab. And the rest of the crew, well, you'll just have to join Red Dwarf on Monday at 9 o'clock on 2. It's said to be six miles long, four miles tall and three miles wide. 
and uh, operated by the Jupiter ba-ba-ba, Mining Corporation. Ba-ba-ba. So in the first episode, ba-ba-ba-ba. which is set sometime in the late 22nd century, an onboard radiation leak kills everyone on board, except for the lowest ranking technician, Dave Lister. So, sorry, so every, every, everyone's dead. So everyone dies. Everyone. Everyone. Everyone's dead, Dave. Right. Yeah. Where is everybody on? They're dead, Dave. Who is? Everybody, Dave. What, Captain Hollister? Everybody's dead, Dave. What, Todd Hunter? Everybody's dead, Dave. What, Selby? They're all dead. Everybody's dead, Dave. <laughs> Peterson isn't, is he? Everybody is dead, Dave. Not Chen. Gordon Bennett, yes, Chen. Everybody, everybody's dead, Dave. Rimmer. He's dead, Dave. Everybody is dead. Everybody is dead, Dave. <laughs> Wait. Are you trying to tell me everybody's dead? And Lister only survives because he was in suspended animation mm. at the time. And his pregnant cat, named Frankenstein, was safe in the cargo hold. So she was fine. So following the accident, the ship's computer, Holly, keeps Lister in stasis until the radiation levels return to normal. A process that takes three million years. Right. So by the time he comes out, he is the last human being left in the universe. But his former bunkmate and immediate superior Arnold Judas Rimmer is resurrected by Holly as a hologram to keep Lister sane. And also a creature known only as Cat is the last member on board of the Felis Sapiens, a race of humanoid cats that evolved in the ship hold this whole time from Lister's cat. Oh, <laughs> better make myself look big. <laughs> now, in those early days, yeah. a comparison that's often made is it's porridge in space. Yeah. Because you basically got Lister who's this slob, yeah. Rimmer, who's super uptight, who's yeah. his like the old couple, essentially, the odd couple, yeah. uh, and then, and Cat, kind of a supporting character at this point, he, yeah. he, he goes, all he does is, ow, ow, I nice. how, am I, how am I looking, yeah. I'm looking good, yeah. ow, and yeah. then leaves, and then back to Porridge and Space. Yeah. So yeah, the main focus of the early series is Lister's desire to return home to Earth, and the inept crew soon discover various phenomena um, over, over the years, including like time travel stuff and lots of different life forms that have evolved in those millions of years since, since it happened. Gotcha. Um, and during the second series, the group encountered the service mechanoid Crichton, rescuing him from a long-since crashed ship, and he joined full-time from series three. Mm. So let's go through the main characters bit by bit. Let's do it. So, Dave Lister, played by Craig Charles. Is there any man across the length and breadth of our great land that dared challenge the king's best knight? <laughs> I do, sir. And you are, sir? Lister of Smag. <laughs> There's a slobby Liverpudlian, self-described bum, the lowest ranking of the 169 crew members on the ship, and he has a long-standing desire to return to Earth and start a farm on Fiji, mm. and is the last known surviving member of the human race. He loves Indian food, especially chicken vindaloo. Do you associate, do you like relate to Lister more than anyone else? I, I mean... So you've got Rimmer, who's super uptight and officious. Yeah. You've got Crichton, who's kind of super uptight and officious. Yeah. You've got the cat, who's incredibly stylish. Yeah. And then you've got Lister, who he's loves Korean beer and is yeah. a massive bum. So yeah, yeah it's Lister, probably Lister. Probably Lister. Yeah. I mean, we did just spill beer <laughs> all over ourselves. So unprofessional. It was a mess. Uh, Arnold Judas Rimmer, BSC, SSC, which stands for Bronze Swimming Certificate and Silver Swimming Certificate, played by the one and only Chris Barry, who I've wanked on about on this podcast many times. You really have wanked on about him. Sometimes when it wasn't even appropriate, it would just be like, who could could be the next Doctor Who? Chris Barry. It could have been Uh, the next Doctor Who. Who should play Ulysses in a live-action version of Ulysses 31? (laughs) Definitely Chris Barry. Open communication channels, Lister. 
broadcast on all known frequencies and in all known languages, including Welsh. <laughs> this is acting senior officer Arnold J. Rimmer of the Jupiter Mining Corporation transport vehicle Star Bug. Now hear this, because it's only coming once. <laughs> we surrender, totally and without condition. Thank you very much. Oh, additional. Sorry to take up your valuable time. Sorry. Thank you. Sorry. Bye. Bye. Sorry. Thank you. Bye. Uh, the second lowest ranking member of the crew, while they were all alive, he was a fussy, bureaucratic, neuro- neurotic coward who, by failing to replace a drive plate properly, is responsible for the accident that kills the crew. But I never understood why he was in charge of doing that, because his whole thing was to fix chicken soup machines. So why was he placed with fixing such an important thing? Good point. He was given a task beyond his abilities, yeah. and uh, and he failed, yeah. as would be expected. It's really the crew's own fault, yeah. I would say. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but Holly chose him to be the ship's one available hologram. They only allowed one at a time, mm. as they had shared the most words with each other. Him and Lister. Yeah, even though most of that was Lister telling him to smeg off, right. whatever else. <laughs> then you've got the cat, played by Daniel John Jules. A humanoid creature who evolved from the offspring of Lister's smuggled pet cat, Frankenstein. Fish! Today's fish is trout a la creme. Enjoy your meal. Fish! Today's fish is trout a la creme. Enjoy your meal. Fish! Today's fish is trout a la creme. Enjoy your meal. Fish! Today's fish is trout a la creme. Enjoy your meal. Fish! Today's fish is trout a la creme. Enjoy your meal. Fish! Today's fish is trout a la creme. Enjoy your meal. I will. <laughs> He's concerned little other than sleeping, eating and falling over his appearance and tends not to socialise with other members of the crew. Although I'd say in recent series he's come out of his cat shell. Yeah, exactly. Then you've got Crichton, full name Crichton 2X4B523P. That I did not know. Uh, played by Robert Llewellyn from series three onwards and as a one-off appearance in series two by David Ross. David Ross, yeah. Also voiced Talkie Toaster in a later series. Yeah. What is it? It's a banana. No, it isn't. Try again. What is it? It's a banana? No, it isn't. What is it? It's an... It's an... It's an orange. Go on, say it. It's an orange. This is an orange. It's an... It's an... It's a banana. It's no good, sir. I just can't do it. You can do it. I'm going to teach you how. Okay, what's this? It's an... No, no, no. What is it? Oh, it's no good, sir. I just can't lie. I'm programmed always to tell the truth. It's easy. Look, an orange, a melon, a female aardvark. <laughs> oh, that is just so superb, sir. How do you do that? Especially calling a banana an aardvark. An aardvark isn't even a fruit. <laughs> it's total genius. Uh, he was rescued by the crew from the crashed spaceship Nova 5 in Series 2 upon which he had continued to serve the ship's crew despite having been dead for thousands or even millions of years. They're dead. (laughs) Who's dead? They are dead. They're all dead. My God. (laughs) I was only away two minutes. Um, He is a service mechanoid. When first encountered by the crew, he was bound by his sort of behavioural protocols. Didn't he, like... Wasn't he, like, serving... Like skeletons. Skeletons. Yeah, they've skeletons. Been, they've been dead for centuries. It's pretty dark. Yeah. And, um, yeah. But Lister encouraged him to break his programming and think for himself. So eventually he was able to lie and cheat as much as he possibly could. Yes. Uh, his change in appearance and voice between the two actors is apparently explained away by an accident involving Lister's space bike and Lister repairing him. So that's why he suddenly turned all weirdly Canadian. <laughs> and, yeah. Totally is he Canadian? I guess he is Canadian. Yeah, he's yeah. got a weird sort of American whatever accent. Twang. Yeah. 
And then finally, Holly, the ship's computer, played by Norman Lovett in series one, two, seven, eight, and the upcoming series. Yes. They want you, Dave. Me? Why? What for? For your crimes against humanity. You what? Seems when you left Earth three million years ago, you left two half-eaten German sausages on a plate in your kitchen. Since <laughs> I! Do you know what happens to sausages left unattended for three million years? Yeah, they go mouldy. Your sausages, Dave, now cover seven-eighths of the Earth's surface. <laughs> also, you left £17.50 pence in your bank account. Thanks to compound interest, you now own 98% of all the world's wealth. And because you hoarded it for three million years, nobody's got any money except for you and Norweb. Why Norweb? You left a light on in the bathroom. <laughs> We've got a final demand here for £180 billion. £180 billion? Pounds? You're kidding. April Fool. <laughs> but it's not April. Yeah, I know, but I could hardly wait six months with a red-hot jape like that under my belt. And Hattie Hayridge in series three to five. So one, two, seven, eight, twelve. Yeah. And... Three, three, four, five. Four, five. Yeah. Gotcha. So Wally managed to navigate her way through five black holes? As it transpired, there weren't any black holes. But you saw them on the monitor. They weren't black holes. What were they? Grit. <laughs> Five specks of grit on the scanoscope. You see, the thing about grit is it's black. And the thing about the scanoscope... Oh, shut up! Holly has a functional IQ of 6,000, although this is severely depleted by the three million years of runtime and lack of repairs. Holly is left alone after the radiation accident and has developed computer senility in that time. Uh, the change in appearance for Series 3 is explained by Holly having changed his face to resemble that of a computer from a parallel universe with whom he had fallen madly in love. Gotcha. As you do. As, as you do. As we all do. So, from time. the main concept of the show was originally developed from the sketch series Dave Holland's Space Cadet. Did you know that? I did not know that. From, it was on a BBC Radio 4 show called Son of Cliché in the mid-1980s, which was written by Rob Grant and Doug Naylor. Ah, the creators of Red Dwarf. Yes. Dave Holland's Space Cadet. This is Dave Holland's Stellar trader Claire Steed calling Earthcom 7 Beta 7. I'm still alone on the Melissa 5. The others are still dead. <laughs> I'm still 7 trillion light years away from Earth. Yesterday, we hit a space storm. Acid rain, fireballs, meteors, radiation. Brightened up in the afternoon, though. <laughs> Hab, the ship's computer, tells me I've gone space crazy through loneliness. Oh, and a giant chicken has stolen both my hats. So their influences came from films and TV shows such as Silent Running in 1972, Alien, Dark Star, Hitchhiker's Guide, uh, but also a large element came from British-style comedy and satire, which ultimately moulded the form of sitcom that it had at the beginning of the show. Um, and apparently many visual and character elements bear similarities to the Trident Nuclear Submarine BBC documentary Defence of the Realm, yeah, which no, just I, sounds fascinating. No, I was just going to say that. Oh, I was, yeah. I was gonna so say, you're a big know, fan of Defence yeah, of the Realm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you not know about it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's actually a future episode, Defence of the Realm. Oh, OK. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, having first written the pilot script in 1983, the former Spitting Image writers had hawked their unusual and original script around, but it was rejected by everyone at the BBC for years. Well, it was. Um, as it was believed science fiction sitcom would just be shit and then we'll care. Which, I mean, you know, they got a point. They got a point. Yeah. On paper, I was like, well, no. And, and, <laughs> no, guys. <laughs> and, and, and 
there's been no other examples. There no. have been no good examples up to that point. No, I mean, um, Hitchhiker's Guide was good, but it was already something else. And not really know. a sitcom. No, and exactly. also, I, I guess, what, The Jetsons? Was <laughs> like the closest <laughs> thing of like a sci-fi sitcom? Walk and Mindy. Yeah. Which was just Happy Days. Which, yeah. You know. um, but it was finally adapted, uh, sorry, finally accepted by BBC North in 1986, a result of a spare budget just being hanging around. And it was because it was <laughs> oh, the, the old days where the BBC yeah. just had money yeah. hanging around. Uh, but the show was lucky to be made at all because there was an ele- electrician strike uh, partway through rehearsals in '87 at the BBC, which shut the entire production down. Wow! And it was eventually, thankfully, rescheduled, and the pilot episode was finally made on the 15th of February 1988. Let's remind ourselves of the intro as it was at the beginning. Oh yes, please. So when it came to casting, some interesting decisions were chosen. Oh, I love, I love Sorry. this. I love, well, I, I love this kind of, you know, what could have happened exactly. casting anyway, but Red Dwarf has some particularly This is ones. fascinating. So the original auditions were Alan Rickman and Alfred Molina, with Molina being cast as Rimmer. So Molina so, was actually cast to play Rimmer. I don't think Rickman even got the part. But, so, so, so Rickman, because you think Rickman, oh, okay, maybe young Rickman, kind yeah. of uptight, yeah. surely, surely Rimmer. Yeah. So... Rickman was up for a list. I guess, I guess so. I love chicken vindaloo and a lager. <laughs> but, you know, Molina apparently had difficulties with the concept and his role in particular. Mm. So the re- it was recast and filled by Chris Barry, who at that point was a professional voice actor and impressionist who had worked with them on Spitting Image. And this was pre-Britus. Yes, it yeah. was pre-Britus. El Salvador. No, don't tell me yet. I know. He's the big guy with the mustache. No, Mr. President. El Salvador's a country. I don't care what he's like yet, as long as he's not a commie. Uh, no, sir, our man's moderate. Moderate? Is that like a commie, Ed? No, sir, he's against Nicaragua. Nicaragua. Now, he is the big guy with the mustache. <laughs> Good old Nicky. I remember playing golf with him, Ed. Mr. President, sir, uh, Nicaragua's another country. You don't like these guys very much, do you, Ed? Uh, Crow Charles was a Liverpudlian punk poet at the time. In the city, dirty brick walls and painted lampposts as I walked down streets with dirty gutters and cracked up pavements and broken battered chip shop shutters. Dirty curtains with yellow-white nets as I walk past homes with age-old paintwork and the fair shed of rats. Nazi signs and bedroom windows and rusted garden gates off the hinges and doorsteps where all the moss grows. Uh, he was given the role of Dave Lister, but he was only approached by the team for his opinion about the cat character as they were worried it was going to be considered racist. So they brought him on board to say, mate, Craig, is, is this all right? Is this all right? But Charles described Cat as pretty cool, and after reading the script, he decided he wanted audition for Listers anyway. Uh, stand-up comedian Norman Lovett, he had originally tried out for Rimmer, apparently, but he was kept in the show as Holly, whereas professional dancer and singer Danny Don Jules, he arrived half an hour late for his appointment. Stylishly late. Yeah, uh, but stood out immediately. It's partly due to his cool exterior, dedicated research, because he had read Desmond Morris's book, Cat Watching. 
and he showed up in character wearing his father's 1950s zoot suit. Did he show up in, <laughs> did he show up in character or was he just that That's cool? just what he wore, which is cool. awesome. Yeah. So Grant and Naylor, they wrote the first six series together under the pseudonym Grant Naylor, which I thought was a real person. Oh, I thought it was a real person. Uh, and then... Sounds double R as well, Grant Naylor. Yeah. Grant, 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 Naylor. Grant Naylor. You don't mess with him. Yeah, it's one of those Craig Fairbrass films. <laughs> Grant Naylor, you double R bastard. Starring Craig, Craig Fairbrass. Craig Fairbrass is Grant Naylor. So Grant he'll left... Ne- he'll nail you. He, le- he left in 1995 <laughs> to pursue other projects, which left Naylor to write it well he wrote series 7 and 8 with a group of writers including Robert Llewellyn apparently he, wow. he contributed to the writing of it but in recent years since the Dave years he's written mm. it on his own right one of the uh, surprising hallmarks of the series is it's music which is which is great music not only the theme song but mm. lots of you know incidental music and songs they, they perform over and around um, the music was written and performed by Howard Goodall with the distinctive vocals on the closing theme which we might hear later Ooh. by Jenna Russell who you now know as Michelle Fowler in EastEnders. I was going to say, that name's yeah. familiar. She's the new Michelle yeah. Fowler. So she was a successful theatre actor for years, and then recently she got cast as the new That's Michelle hilarious. Fowler. So she sings the theme tune, which has been used every single episode wow. ever. And Howard Goodall is a now successful uh, classical composer and radio presenter, and he also composed the themes for Blackadder, Mr Bean, Vicar of Dibley, QI, loads of things. Why is he not a big... So well, he's a, he is a big deal, but why... why he was he... even on QI as a, like, a panelist. A few unsung times, hero. So, yeah, very unsung hero. Hello, I'm Howard Goodall, and I write the music for Red Dwarf. In particular, it's a tune. Fun, fun, fun in the sun, sun, sun. And this is my studio, or part of it. Uh, this is an old-fashioned grand piano. Yeah, this is where I wrote uh, this piano. I wrote um, Tongue Tied, and I wrote uh, the Red Dwarf theme. So we heard it already. The first two series used a relatively sombre instrumental version of the closing theme. Mm. Da, da, da. It's a bit, a bit miserable, isn't it? Beautiful. Goes on a bit too long. But then from series three onwards, it switched to to this much more upbeat version, which is still kick ass. Goodall also wrote the music for the show's various songs, including Tongue Tied, oh, you make me tongue-tied which Grant and Naylor wrote the lyrics for. sequence in series two that was that was a sequence where it was like oh I've written this song lads yeah what's cool tongue tied oh, yeah. listen bloody good song that mate that, that should be a, that would be a hit back in the day well well should we stick it in the episode not really got a good plot reason to put it in the episode ah oh, it's a dream oh, sequence but it's, but it's good it's good though isn't it yeah, yeah put it in there yeah, yeah so it, yeah. we they just have a dream recorder and we can watch back our dreams yeah. 
is it ever going to be used again on the show? Nah, don't worry, worry about, about it. it. Don't worry about it. But then, would you believe it? Danny John Jules, credited as the cat, released a single version of Tongue Tie. Never knew it. Which was different to the one on the show. Uh, number 17 in the UK charts in 1993. That wouldn't happen with streaming. When I saw you for the first time, my knees began to quiver. And I got a funny feeling in my kidneys and my liver. I mean, we were just watching a video back there, which mm. I implore any Red Dwarf fan to do now, because in the video, you not only had both Hollies, Chris Barry, Pro Charles, but the guy who played Queeg. Queeg. What's his name? He's like, I think he's a professional dancer or something like that. Charles Organs was his name. Well, interesting, I just saw this. Charles Organs was brought in originally to Red Dwarf to choreograph the tongue tied sequence there we go. for the episode Parallel Universe. But the writers were so impressed that they offered him the role of Queeg as well. Yeah, one of the best episodes in Red Dwarf history. But yeah, there you go. Number 17 in the charts, credited as The Cat rather than Danny Angels. I love that. That's yeah. like uh, going back to our Terror Hawks episode where Kate Kesperl, you don't get <laughs> released a single, you don't get enough spin off singles from hit TV shows you these don't. days, you know. But it shows how popular Red Dwarf was at the time, because that, that, that must have been a good four or five years after Tongue Tide was, because Tongue Tide wow. was series two. They didn't even capitalise had, on the initial success. That had Dwayne Dibley, which was definitely, what, series five, I think? Dwayne yeah. Dibley? Back to reality. Yeah, yeah, it was. So that must have been. It was 1993 and yeah. it still got top 20. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> Howard Goodall, who I was mentioning earlier, he yeah. actually sang the Rimmer song. Remember the Rimmer song? Arnold, Arnold. It yeah. was him that was singing it, ah. whereas Chris Barry was miming along to it. So sorry, all you Barry fans who thought he was singing. I mean, Barry is multi talented, yeah. as, as we've established in the past, but he maybe not a natural gifted singer. He's so Red Dwarf was founded, as we said earlier, the standard sitcom focus of you know a group of dysfunctional individuals living together in a restricted setting. Mm. So classic odd couple scenario. Um, with the but the, the thing that marked it differently, I'd say, to other sci-fi attempts was that while the main characters displayed their because they displayed their cowardice at all times and their general incompetence and laziness um, it was like uh, an antidote to kind of the weird feeless um, badassness that most space shows have mm. whether it's Star Trek or, or anything else yeah you know normally the main characters are, bra- are brave at all times whereas with this they're only ever brave when they absolutely had to be and even then sometimes yeah. not um but what I did also like about Red Dwarf is that the sci-fi elements... So we're talking about you know recent successes, something like Rick and Morty. Mm. If you watch Rick and Morty, it's funny, but the sci-fi yeah. notions in each episode are, are bloody good. And I think, oh, I'd like to see an episode, uh, you know, an episode yeah. of Doctor Who about that, wasn't it? And it's the same with Red Dwarf. It's like some of these episodes and these concepts is like, well, that's a genuinely great yeah. sci-fi concept. Like, and it's funny. You take any, of, any plot from Red Dwarf, you could easily imagine it being a, a Star Trek episode. There was one where it was like future echoes in the mm. first top series where they were seeing like time travel but they can't do anything about it they were just seeing like images of people doing stuff in front of them in the same place that was bound to happen yeah. in the future well, and I'm sure you get onto it but back to reality where yeah. you discover that you're I mean it's a classic sort of you know 
you know, sci-fi setup, you know, yeah. the Matrix explored it, where it's, you know, or what if you're, the, what you think yeah. is real life is a computer simulation. But this whole idea of the the despair squid, that yeah. it, was, it was an alien that was it trying was to make you kill yourself. Making you, uh, yeah, yeah, suicidal. At the Inquisitor, which was oh. this, you know, terrifying mechanoid guy who was going around history, like erasing people who didn't make the most of their existence, yeah, replacing yeah. What, with the sperms who didn't make it. What was? Yeah, was that? Yeah, that was the episode where he sort of judged their lives. Yeah, yeah great. That could be. That could have been a film in itself. Yeah. Like, in a, a, like the Inquisitor. Yeah. Amazing. Have you earned yeah. your place in society? Yeah. And, and you know, is your life worth it? But Red Dwarf was very interested in doing satire and parodies over the years. It referenced various. TV series, films, yeah. and all sorts. Includes uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Top Gun, Robocop, Star Wars, even Citizen Kane and High Noon, Terminator, even Pride and Prejudice in the latest series. Do you remember that one? No. Where it was a computer game that Lister and Cat were doing just right. so they could shag all the Bennett sisters, <laughs> and Crichton was pissed off, so he came in with a tank. It was like, supper is ready. I would kill them all. Um, and they, they, placed, they based the whole theme of some episodes on, on plots of other films, like Polymorph is essentially alien. alien. Uh, Camille, Casablanca, you know, all, oh, yeah, all, that yeah. is all references in Casablanca. Meltdown is essentially Westworld. And the whole Back to Earth is inspired by Blade Runner, as shit as it may be. And Coronation Street. And Coronation Street. Ah, oh, dear. I mean, if you haven't seen it... Don't. Don't. <laughs> Don't at this point. I mean, I'm glad it happened, because it allowed it to come back, mm. and it, it gave people interest in Red Wolf again, but... Mm. Back to Earth, the budget was so low, and it was like it, it saw them land on a fake again. And it was another despair squid type scenario yeah. where it was all wasn't really happening. Well, yeah, it was sort of a quasi sequel to Back to uh, Back to Reality. And they found themselves on Earth, where they discovered that they were being played by people in the sitcom, and they met the real Craig Charles on the set of Coronation Street. <sighs> and yeah, it was not the best, but I've got a soft spot for it. I reckon mm. I've said this to you loads of times. Watch Back to Earth which is technically series nine, watch mm. it um, as it's meant to, which was like a full length film right? with no breaks. Right. Whereas they released it in three parts with mm. adverts and it didn't really work because there was no like laughter track. Yeah. And if you watch it as a film, like a one-off weird film, it's good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and as we've all talked about different um, sci-fi staples, but it, it liked to use things like time, tra- time travel paradoxes mm. and things like that and free will doppelgangers and virtual reality as you've mentioned and the fact that he's the last human being on earth it's all very kind of you know deep into sci-fi stuff but what's really interesting is that aliens don't actually feature at all in red dwarf because no they do no they don't because what about um those like eight eight fellas nah this is the thing when Lister married so Grant and Nada decided very early on that they didn't want aliens involved so Everything they encounter are non-human life forms, but they're evolutions of Earth things. They're either robots or hollow life forms created by humans, or like gelfs. gelfs they were they were created in some way by humans. What about the, what about the, the the polymorph? Yeah, that was like a a weird non-human life <laughs> form. Which, nah, it's all great by but they're, they're great by humans. Everything you see in Red Dwarf was in some way only existed because of humans. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting, whereas all other sci-fi shows, they're encountering all sorts aliens of aliens all over the place. And, move and it shows they they say how yeah Earth's the only only one that had life. I'm afraid, but Lister, you're important because of that. And Red Dwarf is known for its own distinct vocabulary as well. Words and phrases such as hologrammatic, dollar pound, Phila sapiens, simulants, gelf, space weevil, zero g football. They're all things that they were made up in the, in the world of Red Dwarf. Then you've also got, obviously, 
various fictional expletives. Yes. Which were used only to avoid having to have offensive words in the show, but to give you sort of example of what people would be saying in the 22nd century. Obviously, the big one, smeg. Smeg. Yeah. Rinne. Smegging. Smeg. Smegger. Smegged. Brilliant. It's such a good word. Smeg. Yeah. Very difficult to stand um, on a railway platform now that, without at least one person saying, Oi, smegged! Which is a change that I never knew would ever happen. But when I, did, when I came into this industry, I didn't say, I, well, I'm looking forward to the day when someone could stand on a platform and call me a smegged. And, of course... Um, that happens reassuringly everywhere you go now. Okay, there's a young lad. I saw you there, but then, then you got covered up. Okay. Hi. What does smeg mean? <laughs> and then you've got other ones like gimboid and goit. Such a great word. You... It's gimboid. Gimboid. Gimboid sa- is so good. It I know. Sounds like it is I say goit all the time. I forget it's only from Red Dwarf. Gimboid. I haven't really, really delved into the, the whole plot of Red Dwarf because you could be here forever. Um, but it sort of changed, as you say, from series three onwards is when they started going on more space adventures. Mm. Well, by that point, you'd established, hadn't you, the, the kind of classic quartet you yeah. had. It was, it was, it had moved on from just being about uh, Lister mm. and Rimmer to being Lister, Rimmer, uh, yeah. Cat and Crichton adventuring out space. in space. Yeah. And then uh, in later series... Starbug was used more often, which was mm. the, the smaller ship, which would then go and do the adventures. Like a scout ship. Yeah, so, and in series six, they actually lose Red Dwarf because mm. R- Lister parked it somewhere. I forgot where he parked it. Um, and so it was, they were stuck in Starbug, which some didn't like, but I thought series six was one of the best, if not the best. That's my, that's my favorite, yeah. to be honest. I, I thought it worked better. And in series seven, Rimmer departs the crew to take yeah. on the role of his alter ego from a parallel universe, Ace Rimmer whose name has become a long-standing legend and a legacy passed from dimension to dimension. And it was his turn, even though he was a coward and wouldn't be able to do it. But don't worry about it. You're back. Afraid so. Had the feeling you might be. Rubber shares went up this morning. (laughs) You wanted to see me, Bongo? Ever heard of a thing called the dimension theory of reality? Doesn't that run along the lines that there is an infinite number of parallel universes where every possibility exists? It's along those lines, yeah. So the lab boys have come up with a drive that can break the speed of reality. Those boffins have hammered together a crate that can cross dimensions? When do I launch? It's a one-way ticket, Ace. There's no coming back. I'm free at 1500. You'll do it? I'm a test pilot in the Space Corps, Bongo. It's my job to do it. (laughs) I know this probably won't interest you, but uh, I'd hate myself for the rest of my life if I uh, didn't at least suggest it. Suggest what? If you're interested, I'll be in my quarters at lunchtime, covered in tarama salata. I didn't know your bread was buttered that side, Bongo. It isn't. It's been happily married for 35 years. Just a chap like you can turn a guy's head. I'm sorry, Bongo. Lunch is on Melly. Understood. What a guy. It was a bit weird when he left, but he was replaced in a way. Why did Barry leave? Was he just sick of it? At that point, I think... I think British Empire was still going on, right. but he was also doing A Prince Among Men. Yeah. Where he was Gary Prince, a retired footballer. Didn't, didn't go down. Not as, not as fondly remembered nah. as British and But British might be coming back. Apparently. Quite, so quite fondly thought of British Empire. Um, but shortly after Rimmer's departure, they encounter a parallel version of themselves from a universe in which Christine Kachansky, Lister's love interest mm. from previous years, had been put into stasis, and she was the last surviving person in her 
world. It was an, it was a universe so alternate. Yeah, that, uh, Kachansky's face, yeah. uh, voice, and really entire demeanor yeah. had entirely changed. But I will go into that oh, okay. as, as a theory okay, good, later. Good, good. Okay. Um, so, but for whatever reason, she is st- stuck with our Red Dwarf crew, mm. and she becomes the next crew member uh, for series seven and eight. What are you doing in here? Just looking for something to erase the memory of everything I've ever experienced. A couple of gallons of medicinal alcohol should do it. Listen, for what it's worth, I'm. Sorry you missed getting back to Dave, the hologrammatic hunk. That's okay, I'm sure there'll be another chance for you to cock it up again. Because <laughs> in series eight, it series seven What happened? This is because, weird. because series six is yeah. incredible. There was... and, and are you gonna go into Better Dead than Smeg? The greatest Red Dwarf moment of all time? Yeah, so series six, right, is night ninety three. It ends on a cliffhanger oh, so where okay. Um, so the Red Dwarf crew, they 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 they've met future versions they meet of a future themselves. versions of themselves who are all twats, massive dicks, and they've become blinded by riches and all sorts, and it and they need something that the current crew have, mm. um, but they don't want to give it to them because they don't want to become them. Yeah, and because their future selves don't want to revert to their old selves, they decide to just shoot them and kill them, even though it would end up killing them anyway. <laughs> um, and Rimmer realised at the last minute because. One by one, they all start dying. Yeah. And Rimmer, the coward of the group... Because there's the amazing moment when they all decide to, to yeah. go against their older selves. And yeah. yeah. And I think we should fight yeah. better dead than Smeg. And at the last minute, he shoots the time drive, mm. which would revert everything back. Because because if you destroy the time yeah. drive, their they older selves them. would never have been able to yeah. travel back in time, so yeah. no, nothing would have ever happened. Either you give us access to the data we require... Or be prepared to be blasted out of the sky. But if you kill us, you'll cease to exist. Better that than be forced to live like you. Like rats trapped together, marooned in deep space. Your answer, 30 seconds. So what do we do? Have we got any chance of winning? Their craft is greatly upgraded. We have no chance whatsoever. Then I say fight. Mr. Rimmer? Better dead than Smeg. Yes! Cat? Better dead than sofa-sized butt. Frightened? Better anything than that toupee. She's up. Arming lasers. Bringing her out. Target acquired. Locking on. Firing. Direct hit. Starboard thrusters. Nice shooting, sir. Bringing her out for dessert. Threat warning. They've got a lock on. I'm going for the main fuel tank. They're in your sights. Locked on. Fire. Mr. Lister, is he okay? He's dead, sir. The hull's gonna go. We'll all be dead in a minute. Dead. But there may be a Crichton. Crichton. There may be a what? A way out of this? Is that what you were gonna say? S- speak, Crichton. How can we change what's happening? Then we had to wait at the time. This was a long time because the next series was only 1997. So it was only like four years. It felt like, but it felt like a lifetime. It felt like a long time. And I, at the I, time, I, I think like I, I felt like I changed from a boy to a man. <laughs> in that time. I think there was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. I think Craig Charles was having issues with like personal, personal issues. issues. They were trying to make a movie as well. Yeah, at that time. and but eventually it came back, and they only briefly talked about the cliffhanger. Yeah. And fine. But then the the style of series seven was totally different. It was more of a filmic thing with no live audience, mm. 
and it, it in some elements it, it was good but in other elements it didn't quite work I would say the style of it was it was a, it was much less funny yeah I would say that was the main yeah. that was the main difference and then and then Arnold uh, Chris Barry left halfway through yeah and Kachansky she was good but she wasn't like a laugh out loud character and you know it didn't really work and series mm. series 8 okay I know, and, you're, I know you're not a fan but I, this is when, uh, well I'll go on to the ratings I, later but series 8 was actually the most popular of all I've got a soft spot for it and there were moments in series 8 which are brilliant but on overall I'd say it was a mistake because what happens in series 8 at the very beginning Crichton has these nanobots that he, he finds and, that, and they realise that's where Red Dwarf is this whole time it was in like Lister's sock drawer because the nanobots had created they, they turned it into this tiny thing so right. it was there the whole time and so they discover they, they make the nanobots recreate Red Dwarf from the start but in doing so it brings back all the original crew like mm. Captain Hollister and all those other people and it recreates Rimmer it was a different Rimmer to their Rimmer he's now a recreated yeah. human Rimmer but without any of the memories or the all the experiences exactly or, so he's sort of back to square one but by having all the old all the other crew it sort of changed it into a totally different show mm. and they removed all the filmic elements of Series 7 which was a good move but it was so far the other way that it felt sort of weirdly amateur and shoddy yeah. in comparison to like 4, 5, 6 yeah. so it, it was okay but it, it was 7 and 8 weren't, weren't perfect no but weirdly a lot of people I know they started watching Red Dwarf in Series 7 and 8 because that was the age the age they were started at. Yeah. so that's all they know and it was only later that they watched the rest so you know it has, it has its moments and series eight ends with Rimmer, the, the nanobot created Rimmer, kneeing death himself in so, the balls. So it was that Red Dwarf was being eaten by a techno virus. Yeah, it was at the end of series eight that Red Dwarf was being eaten by this like yeah, flesh eating virus. Yeah, well, not even flesh, but metal eating yeah. virus. And the whole crew leaves. Captain yeah, Hollister and everyone leave. And Rimmer, but they leave Rimmer and Lister and all those guys because they were prisoners at this yeah. point. So they leave them behind. And then they found this mirror dimension and they're trying to find a cure to yeah. fix it. Yeah. And all the dwarfers went over to the mirror universe, but Rimmer was stuck because he had the... It all makes sense yeah. if you've seen the episode. But, and I'll get into this in a minute, they've never quite explained what happened next. No. Because it's come back ten years later and it hasn't really explained. The bridge between Series 8 and then back to Earth, yes. which is effectively yeah. Series 9, yeah. it's not really explained exactly. what happened. And the tenth series, was on Dave, uh, Red Dwarf X. Caesar, Lister, still travelling with Rimmer, Crichton and Cat in the hopes of locating Kachansky, who has disappeared. Crichton made out that she had been sucked through an airlock and died, but it turned out she hadn't. She just left, for reasons unknown. So why did Crichton say that? To spare Lister's feelings. Gotcha. Because she just left. Yeah. Right. Um, but they, but neither the 10th or the 11th series have confirmed whether Rimmer on board ship is the one who originally oh, left. Oh, this is so complex. Is the revived version, or is a third incarnation entirely? So, oh my god. Maybe so, okay, so so original hologram Rimmer. Yeah, left who, to be raised. Who was a recreation of the dead human. Yeah, he Rimmer. was a hologram. He left in yeah. series seven yeah. to become Ace Rimmer. Yeah. Now in series eight, resurrected. The nanobots resurrect the, a new but human Rimmer. This is Rimmer before the accident. Yes. So, before any of these adventures happened. Yes. Yeah. So then, you don't know what happens to him. No. And in series nine onwards. Yeah. Back to Earth. He's onwards. a hologram again. He's a hologram again. But so, he seems to have memories of both. Because I always assumed it was that because Series A ended with Rimmer in, you know, dire straits, yeah. that he had died yeah. and become another hologram. But as you say, he has memories. The, the, this Rimmer in Series 9 onwards has the memories of the previous Rimmer, yeah. which would suggest something happened to the human Rimmer and they brought back the original hologram Rimmer yeah. who went off to be Ace but Rimmer. But apparently he has memories of Series 8 as well. So he has both memories. 
you know so I don't know if they've they just fucked up. I think, I think they just haven't really thought about but it. But they still haven't explained it. And I hate to say this, because in the new series, a bit of an exclusive, this. Oh. In the new series. Two gigs, The two final gigs episode. Exclusive. The final episode is called Skipper, which was Ace Rimmer's nickname for Lister. For his, alt, for his alternate yes. reality version of Lister. So I thought, oh, maybe that means Ace Rimmer's coming back and they're going to finally explain what yeah. happened. No. I asked Doug Nader this. This is what he said. My name, my name. No. Damn <laughs> no. it. It was originally it was called Star Wars. Oh, right. Yeah. And that's when you quantum skip. Yeah. So that's quantum skipping rather than Ace Rumor. Annoying. It's a Red Dwarf area. Yeah, they're not going to bring it up. So, uh, Red Dwarf was one of the most watched shows on BBC2 ever, and it peaked at over 8 million in Series 8. Yeah, yeah. So, big deal. I mean, I know the ratings are different back then than they are now, but still, 8 million is pretty good for a BBC2 sitcom. Yeah. It's pretty good. In the day of the era, we've already said Bats Worth is a bit dodgy. Uh, 10 was pretty good, but 11, in my opinion, was was the best in Series 6. It, it's getting back to its absolute best. So, so high hopes for 12. Exactly. Starting this October I think on October 12th. October 12th on yeah. Dave. Yeah. We're not paid. <laughs> but if you'd like to pay us... Yeah, please do. Please do. Check, um, send the cheque in the mail. Okay, starting her up. Dave Lister, Triton, Cat, Arnold J. River. We're the posse, boys from the dwarf. I named this gas moon River. To River. So full of gas. The brand new series of Red Dwarf, coming soon, only on Dave. But there are also some novels of Red Dwarf as well, which you might be interested in. Which I read one of these, uh, I think Infinity Welcomes Careful Drivers. That's the one. And totally different to the series. Yeah. In tone, a lot more serious. So they worked together under the name Grant Naylor. Grant Naylor. So the first was Infinity Welcomes Careful Drivers in 1989, which incorporates plot lines from several episodes of the first two series and then followed by Better Than Life in October 1990, which was largely based on the second series episode of the same name, which was a brilliant concept, which, again, could be its own film. You put on a video game headset, and it's just your absolute dream life. So why would you ever leave it? And that's the whole point. The book goes into it more, where they don't want to leave, and they end up being... They slowly die, because, mm. you know, they're malnourished or whatever. Um, <laughs> but together, the two novels provide expanded backstory and development of the series' principal characters. And then he began to work on a sequel to Better Than Life called The Last Human, but Rob Grant was drawn away uh, by other projects. Um, but they still owed Penguin Publishing two more novels. So they worked together to each write an alternative sequel. So, I didn't know this. I yeah, thought it was just the two books. Which were completely different sequels, but they each presented a possible version of the continuation of the story. Wow. So Doug Naylor wrote Last Human, which adds Kachansky to the crew and has more sci-fi elements and all that kind of stuff, while Rob Grant wrote Backwards, which was more in keeping with the previous two novels and borrows more extensively from already established TV stories. Fascinating. Yeah. So all four novels have been released in audiobook format, which I highly recommend. The first two are read by Chris Barry, and then Last Human was read by Craig Charles, and then Rob Grant did Backwards. (laughs) It can be asked. (laughs) Rob, you're free. Yeah, Yeah. I'm free, though. (laughs) It was now possible for Rimmer to revise solidly for three months and not learn anything at all. The first week of study, he would always devote to the construction of a revision timetable. 
Every hour of every day was subdivided into different study periods, each labelled in his lovely tiny copper plate hand, then painted over in watercolours, a different colour for each subject, the colours gradually becoming bolder and more urgent shades as the exam time approached. The only problem was this. Because the timetables often took seven or eight weeks to complete, by the time Rimmer had finished them, the exam was almost on him. He'd then have to cram three months of astro-navigation revision into a single week. Gripped by an almost deranging panic, he'd then decide to sacrifice the first two days of that final week to the making of another timetable. One of the uh, most, con- most fascinating elements of Red Dwarf's history was the USA version. Right, well, or versions. Yeah, exactly. So, despite the original version having already been broadcast on PBS in America... Which is like... That's like a shitty little channel. PBS is like a big... That's that's what, like, Downton Abbey's on. Yeah, it's quite a cult show in America. Because, like, it's mentioned in Buffy, it's mentioned in Big Bang Theory, Red Dwarf. It's, you know, it's got its own... People know what it is over there if you're a nerd. Mm. You you know what it is. Mm. That Buffy reference always annoyed me. Why? Because there's a nerdy character and he says... He says to Spike, because he's trying to impress Spike, the British vampire. he's British. And he's British. And he says to him, I've seen every episode of Doctor Who, but not Red Dwarf, because it's not out on DVD yet. A, Red Dwarf was out on DVD. (laughs) B, you could not have seen every episode of Doctor Who, nor he'd used magic to recreate Ah, the missing episodes of Doctor Who. That would be quite the skill. So, but I think I'm thinking about this far more than The Rise of Buffy. Yeah. You're English, right? Yeah. I've seen every episode of Doctor Who. Not Red Dwarf, though, because, um... Because it's not out yet on DVD. Right. It's not out yet on DVD. But, despite that, um, a pilot episode for an American version was produced through Universal Studios with the intention of broadcasting on NBC in 1992. Uh, The show essentially followed the same story as the first episode um, of the original series, but it used American actors for most of the main roles. Craig Bierko as Lister. Yeah. Known best for the 13th floor. <laughs> and he's currently in Unreal. Unreal, yeah. The American show. Good in that. Is, good it, in is that. he good in that? Yeah. But, like, wasn't he sort of like. Yeah, super buff, buff. A buff, sexy. A bit of a slacker, but he was still. He yeah. looks like. He, he always makes me think of. Uh, in Back to Reality there's a bit in Back to Reality where yeah. Lister wakes up having thought his whole life on Red Dwarf as a dream yeah. and he's just this well he thinks he's just like a regular guy turns out he's a fascist dictator but yeah. anyway he, he looks it's a great scene where he looks into the next people the viewer yeah. of the next people playing Red yeah. Dwarf and he sees someone who is muscly and, and, and he's kind of is, is the new, it's like the, Rambo, isn't it? Yeah, he's like the next Lister, and he's yeah. sort of doing it better than him. Yeah. Which I love that. It's like, like imagine if that if you found out like someone else was a better Tommy yeah. or a better Morgan Jeffrey yeah. than you. So depressing. Yeah. But Craig Bjorko kind of looks yeah. like that guy. He looked like the buff Lister. <clears throat> Black box update. Well, for reasons that are too stupid to go into, most of the crew was wiped out, and we wound up adrift three million years in deep space. Which is real nice. My name is Dave Lister. I used to uh, be a chicken soup machine repairman. Now I'm acting captain. Uh, I know I, I don't look much like a captain, but when I tried on the form-hugging red lycra bodysuit, I looked like a giant half-squeezed tube of tomato paste. I was barfed. This thing on. Hello. Uh, let's see. Our crew number's five. Besides me, there's oh, Arnold Rimmer. He's dead. Uh, we had to bring him back as a hologram.
Actually, he's the same sad, weaselly maggot he always was, only now he's just a projection, which means that he can't touch anything except himself. So basically, his sex life is unchanged. I can't believe it. I'm, I'm dead. What's it feel like? Death? It's like being at an Amish bachelor party. And there's Holly, our super intelligent onboard computer. And Holly? One of the drive plates in the engine room was defective. It broke apart and killed everyone. How long have I been in stasis, Holly? Well, I couldn't let you out until the radiation died down to a safe level. Really? You're gonna laugh. How long? Just under three million years. <laughs> My baseball cards must be worth a fortune. I feel like American TV producers are better now. But back, back then, they just they just went for the lowest common denominator for these sort of things. And they were like, people only watch it if it's a sexy hunk in the main role. Yeah. It's, it's, it doesn't yeah. need to be like that, does yeah. it? Uh, and then you had uh, you had Chris Egerman who played Rimmer, and he, if you're a Gilmore Girls fan, played Jason in one of the later series. He was yeah. romantic interest for Lorelai. If you if you're a fan of both Gilmore Girls and Red Dwarf, as you to- are Tommy. You are Tommy. Yeah, uh, Hinton Battle played Cat, and he was a Tony Award winning play- guy who played the Scarecrow and the Wiz. First of all, one of the greatest. Before names, Michael Jackson played him in the film. But one of the one of the greatest names of all time. Hinton, Hinton Battle. Battle. Amazing. But also Hinton Battle. Played the demon sweet. He did in the musical episode yes. of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which one of the best to... characters of all time. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, uh, Robert Wellen though did reprise his role as Crichton. Mm. Um, or he had the Canadian accent, obviously. But at the time, Craig Charles and the rest of the gang had no idea this was happening because they'd finished filming. I think it was series five or four, and then I think so did... Grant and Naylor knew and Robert Wellen knew. So, but but the rest of the cast didn't know. So they, they found out through the makeup lady or something. So they weren't approached or anything. No, not but this. But did, later on, maybe. But did Llewellyn just betray his voice? A little bit. Oh man. Yeah, and Robert, he, he's spoken about it, and later he's gone, ah, oh, shouldn't have done that. Have but done at the that. time, it's like it's a lucrative deal in America. It's all you make. Do you want to do yeah. it in America? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, but at the time, they thought Red Dwarf UK is probably going to finish them because mm. you know they're going to make it in there, and he's going to. It's just so weird. I don't think that kind of thing would happen now. You'd have mm. to like cancel the show first, surely. It would be it would be like if Richard Iowadi went and did a terrible <laughs> yeah. American remake of the IT crowd. So maybe it does happen every yeah. uh, and then British actress, unknown at the time, Jane Leaves, played Holly. Who uh, then went off to play Daphne, Daphne and Fraser. Fraser. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was written by Linwood Boomer and directed by Jeffrey Melman. Another great name. Linwood uh, Boomer with, <laughs> to, starring Lin, to starring Hinton Battle uh, with Grant and Naylor they were on board as kind of executive producers at this point so Llewellyn Grant and Naylor travelled to America for, to film the pilot after yeah the fifth series of the UK series had finished and according to Llewellyn and Naylor uh, the cast were not satisfied with Linwood Boomer's script so Grant and Naylor rewrote it but although the cast preferred the rewrite the script was filmed as closer to Boomer's version which is not a good sign uh, the pilot episode included footage from the UK series in its title sequence, although it did not. It didn't have the logo, didn't have the theme music. Shoddy all, all round. <laughs> and uh, during but during filming of it, the audience reaction was good, and it was felt the story had been well received. So you know, early signs were good. But then studio executives were not entirely happy with the pilot, uh... especially the casting. But decided to give the project another chance with Grant and Naylor in charge this time. The intention was to shoot a weird sort of promo video thing in front of uh, like a, in a small studio which the writers described as a garage it was just a, <laughs> right. a shithole 
Uh, new cast members were hired uh, for so Cat and Rimmer. So they were doing like a kind of second mini yeah. pilot. This time to play Cat was none other than Terry Farrell. Mm. Daz from Deep Space Nine. Dax. What was Daz? <laughs> Daz. Daz Ultra starring Shane Richie. She gets your whites whiter than white. Right, Dax. Dax. Shows how much I know about Star Trek. Dax. Jadzia Dax. The first Dax. Mate. <laughs> um, also, also Terry Farrell, the star of um, the, the, the sitcom Becker. Don't Starring that. Ted Danson. Uh, Rumour was played by a guy called Anthony Fussell, who I cannot find anywhere, even on IMDb. Because it was never on air, yeah. it doesn't even have an IMDb element. I think it was his highest wow. moment in his acting career, wow. was playing Rumour in the he's second just, pilot. He's just lost so, to, be, to be dug up someday. If you know Anthony like, or you're like listening, you know, let me know. We'll get you an interview. Get in touch, Anthony Fossil. Uh, but this meant that, unlike the original British series, the cast was all Caucasian, which Craig yeah. Charles later referred to as White Dwarf. Um, Very good. Chris Barry was actually asked to play Rimmer in the second pilot, but he declined. Rob, second Rob, film. Rob, what are you doing? Yeah. He's like, oh, I can get you in on the second pilot. He's like, yeah, you better. What about Craig? Sloppy nah, seconds. Let's not talk about Craig. <laughs> Why not Cat? Because he has like an American accent in it. Why wasn't yeah. he asked to do it? Yeah. Why is, like, of all people, Terry Farrell playing it? <laughs> all right. But again, just, just show the British version. Yeah. Why do you need to? It's like when they were going to remake Luther recently, yeah. starring Idris Elba, a yeah. really popular man in America. Just play the British version. And do you know why they didn't? Because they were like, we can't find anyone as good as no, Idris Elba. Of course you're not. <laughs> of course you're not. He's Idris Elba. Um, so with a small budget and deadline, new scenes were quickly shot and mixed in with existing footage from the pilot and UK episodes, which already featured yeah footage from yeah, UK episodes. Um, just to give an idea of the basic plot. This sounds like a clusterfuck. Um, and this time though, Llewellyn didn't even appear. What? Um, even but so clips of him from the British version were used to show the character. The Brit. Wait, so wait, the clips from the British version or the first American the version? The British version. Oh my god! I know. Um, but despite the reshoots and recasting, the option was not picked oh, up. I, at all. I can't believe that that didn't work out for them. The cast of both British and American versions. Which American version? Both. 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 Criticised the casting of Red Dwarf USA, particularly part of <laughs> Criticised Lister, their own casting. Yeah, um, who in you know American in the UK version is is a likable slob, but in the mm. US version. Clean cut, super, dude. Super hunky dude. Um, well, Danny Don Jules later said the best person to have played American Lister at the time was John Belushi. He would have been a really good yeah, sort of person. Yeah. So in the 2009 interview on Kevin Pollack's chat show, remember Kevin Pollack of Usual Suspects fame? Yeah. And grouchy dad who didn't want to let his daughter go to the prom in, in various sort of early <laughs> noughties teen movies. And wasn't he the guy in Wayne's World too with a dodgy eye? Might have been. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Bierko said himself that his casting was a huge mistake. Oh, Red Dwarf. That was a disaster. It was just as it's horrible, horrible, uh, a horrible Americanization of a truly brilliant British show. So but it, the British it, series is ridiculously, it's ridiculously brilliant, and it's, called and Red it's revered, and they bought it over here, and boy, did America crap on it! It was just so unfunny. <laughs> Casting me was a huge mistake, by sure. the way. Obviously. Which you hear a lot of actors say. But the, it should have been like a John Belushi type guy. But America went, well, we'll do like a Han Solo thing, and I was like, well, I want to pay rent, so great, but it's instantly not funny because it should be the last it should be the opposite of what you've seen in star wars this is a guy you wouldn't want controlling a spaceship look right. what i'm yelling about in my life i'm 45 years old uh, the american pilot has since been heavily bootlegged but has never been broadcast on tv you can see snippets of it on a dvd documentary but other than that it's never really ever been shown so you fancy the facts you like facts don't you i love i love it i love so, facts man um according to patrick stewart he revealed this on red dwarf night do you remember that which had Can't Smeg, Won't Smeg with uh, Amy <laughs> Harriet, Harriet who played a gulf in an episode. Yeah. Um, Do you know why I had? I've just remembered. What? Smeg-ups. 
Yeah, spec ups were a big deal. Red, Dwarf, Red Dwarf was such a big deal yeah. that bloopers VHS w- were released on their own t- yeah. VHS Smeg ups. And, yeah. and Smeg outs? Yeah. They got a second one, they got a follow up. <laughs> it was that big a deal. So Patrick Stewart said the first time he saw the show, he thought it was a rip off of Star Trek The Next Generation and he was going to call his lawyer because he was so pissed off about it but then he continued watching it and became a fan and then he ended up hosting Red Dwarf Night in like so he's like, I'm furious yeah. I'm calling my oh wait 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 it's really fun <laughs> fair play boys I was living and working in the United States when Red Dwarf first aired and it wasn't until 1993 or 1994 on a return to the UK that Switching channels one night, I came in the middle of this program, clearly a science fiction program, and at once, to my horror and outrage, what I thought I saw was a rip-off of Star Trek The Next Generation. I I was already reaching for the telephone to call my lawyer when something happened that made me laugh, and it was something that certainly would not have happened on the next generation. So I left the telephone where it was and I went on watching. And I think within a few moments, I, I had got what the show was and, and I was laughing all the time. For me, what made it then and what continues to make the show so appealing is that it is at times so close to the television series that I recorded for seven years and so delightfully makes a mock of the kind of show that I was doing. I I sometimes wish that we could have introduced some of that same wild, ironic humour into the next generation. Uh, Apparently, Hugh Laurie auditioned for Lister. I don't know, there's no evidence of this, but apparently he did. Again, Hugh Laurie of that time Mm. could have been a good rimmer. Or even, or, even, or even a Crichton. Yeah, it would have been really... Oh, Lister. Yeah. But, 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 I, yeah, I love that. Uh, they I'm totally here. rewrote Lister when Craig Charles was cast. Clearly. Because jo- um, Alfred Molina. No, Alfred Molina was No, Rimmer. he was... Oh, yeah, no. So Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. Or Hugh Laurie. I love you, Kachansky. So uh, Robert Llewellyn uses a Canadian accent to play Crichton, as he said earlier. <laughs> he... <laughs> Considered using <laughs> that's all I can do. I can't do an impression of Robert Llewellyn, but it's just that. Yeah, Mister Lister. <laughs> <laughs> he considered using a Swedish or American accent before you? settling on Canadian. Yeah. He discovered the accent while spending time in Vancouver, which he describes as being a cross between Scottish and American. So there you go. Uh, Norman Lovett left after the second series because he was living in Edinburgh at the time, and he didn't want to travel down to rehearsals, and it led to a disagreement over his salary and so he was like that's, so that's why he was replaced in series ah, three and luckily they'd already re- introduced the alternate reality exactly. female Holly yes uh, according to Craig Charles he and Chris Barry hated each other for years uh, but their relationship has become more friendly from, like, <laughs> series, more friendly series six onwards so quite late in the day it was only from then on that they became good chums was it a case of um, like uh, on the set of Batman Forever famously Tommy Lee Jones said to Jim Carrey yeah. I cannot sanction your buffoonery which is one of my favourite quotes of all time was that kind of they just clashed yeah. and are they mates now or are they still hate each other I thought those two yeah. I, I, I can't imagine that. They're I saw buds. a headline the other day of Tommy Lee Jones saying I have no semblance of a sense of humour <laughs> lovely man Tommy Lee Jones lovely man so you know him him in Men in Black that's just Tommy Lee Jones of course it is I have no semblance of a sense of humour and I will not sanction your buffoonery Tommy Lee Jones star of loads of comedies brilliant uh, inspirations for Danny John Jules' performance as Cat include uh, James Brown, Little Richard, Richard Pryor, Cab Calloway, 
his performance as uh, Dwayne Dibley was inspired by Jerry Lewis in The Nutty Professor. Oh, yeah. So, there you go. R.I.P. Jerry. Yeah. Uh, Holly was originally supposed to be a voiceover character, but Norman Lovett protested and insisted on being shown on camera. He's so, like, he's so, like uh, this face? Yeah. You're joking. You've got, you've got to get this face on camera. <laughs> and he's coming back for the new series yeah. after years away. Yeah. And he looks fucking old now. He looks ropey. Because he is old. He's he like in his so. 70s. Norman, if you're listening, we love you. We do love you, Norman, but, you know. It's just weird. Why is it computer aging? That's what I want to know. Because it's, it's the, the, the programs. The like, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's dissolving. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. And finally, the Egg Birth Arms, which is the pub in which Lister was left under the pool table as a baby, and it turned out he was his own father. Yeah, yeah. it's never really been followed up. Yeah, just, just go along with it. Um, it's a real pub. Uh, Rob oh. Grant and Doug Naylor used to drink there while they were at Liverpool University. There you go. So I'd like to go And we're on. recording in there right now. <laughs> we're not, we're not, we're not. We're not. So if you were to pick your favourite episodes or scenes of Red Dwarf, what was So there? yeah, well I mean we've we've touched on them all, but I mean uh, my favourite scene is Better Dead Than Smeg. Yeah. Yeah. Crichton! What were you was it Crichton? Yeah. What were you going to say? <laughs> yeah. Um my favourite episode, number two, mm. uh, is Gunman of the Apocalypse. Yeah. In which uh, again it's that, it's such a like kid's dream where you get to go into a, a video game and it's virtual reality and it's light. And so in that episode, they will go into the, the Wild West. Yeah. And, uh, dangerous Dan McGrew. River comes Dangerous Dan McGrew. Yeah. Lister becomes Brett Riverbolt. <laughs> Knife Man. And uh, the cat becomes the Riviera Kid. <laughs> <laughs> Shut those damn bullets out of the air. Such a good episode. because they get Strangler McGee. <laughs> they go in to save Crichton from, yeah. what was it? Brother Famine, Brother Death. Brother War. <laughs> he's like he's like trio of Brother Petul- Pestilence. Pest, pest, yeah. These like yeah, no good crooks. That's a great episode. Yeah. But I think because it's it's hilarious, because it's got um Dwayne Dibley. Dwayne Dibley. Yeah. Um it's it's smart, it's sort of weirdly depressing, it's yeah. so good. It's gotta be back to reality yeah. for me. Um yeah, so in that episode, as as we've discussed, they they discover or they think they discover, but it's all a hallucination, that their lives up till now, all of their adventures on Red Dwarf have been a simulation, just a computer game they're playing. Yeah. And they all wake up and are just like hugely disappointed with their lives. So Cat, the stylish man, is a massive nerd. Uh, Rimmer is always prided himself on being sort of like uptight and, yeah. and, 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 and sort of, you know, clean living. He's just a bum. Yeah. Lister, who thinks he's the ultimate rebel, turns out to be like a fascist, yeah. like mafia don. Uh, Crichton thinks he's a cop. Jake Bullet, cybernotic detective. That's traffic control. That's traffic control. Played by Tinchy Dolphin. Which I love. That's another reason I love it. I love that guy. Who, who is that find, guy? Find him out. I, find that guy. I swear like, it was Timothy Dolphin. It's not Timothy Dalton, but He stole an apple of the people. That's it. She was stealing an apple of the people. <laughs> bow, bow, bow. I love that episode. See if we can find who he is. Yeah. Lenny Van... Lenny Von Dolan yeah. uh, was the guy. Uh, most notably, is that he played Harold Smith in a few episodes of the uh, second season of, of Twin Peaks. Mm. But also that episode, of course, a, uh, a memorable early appearance from Timothy Small. Mm. What a bunch of twonks. Apparently, he was really nervous during filming that. It took him like eight attempts. Hey. And then eventually he got Classic it. scene. And twonk, yeah. another great uh, Red Dwarf twonks. Uh, <laughs> what a bunch of twonks. I'm not a hologram. I'm half human. What the hell happened to my teeth? <laughs> from beer bottles with my overbite. <laughs> right, lads, how you feeling? Bit wonky? It's perfectly normal. We'll be right as rain in 20 minutes. So, if you could just move through to the recuperation lounge, I can get things ready for the next lot. 
the next lot. There's a very popular game, is Red Dwarf. It's got a two-year waiting list. And we've got 20 machines. So, how'd you get killed then? Some kind of squid. The despair squid? There's no way that should have killed you. Why don't you use the laser cannons? It's obvious. Well, Starbuck doesn't... didn't have a laser cannon capability. You swank. Use the laser cannons on the crash... What's it? Uh, Esperanto. That's how you get out of it. How are we supposed to know that, you brummy git? <laughs> Esperanto. That's a clue, isn't it? Esperanto. Hope. Hope defeats despair. The despair squid. It's a blatant clue, isn't it? Blatant. Blooming heck, if you didn't get that, you must have been playing like puddings. <laughs> Um, I did speak to the Red Dwarf uh, cast and crew, minus Danny John Jules, recently, and I did ask them what their favourite scenes were. So hear what they think. It's so difficult. Because you'll always remember another one immediately you listen. It is so difficult. I look and I always say the same, I'm afraid, because I probably are. There's three. There's the Maroon Tom, Craig and I, which was amazing. And then there's the first appearance of Ace. And then there's the There's one that I don't know whether we kind of get away with too easily now. That's in Meltdown. Where I'm going down the line. Three. So that was the first series I did, and I kind of didn't know what the hell this thing was that I was in. I didn't get it. You know, I hadn't been in the first two series, so I was learning the the, the impact that this show would have. And then when we did that scene, I went, right, okay, this is this is an audience that gets this to such a degree that I've never experienced before. You know, I mean, you know, it was very memorable in that sense that you. Know, that was until Norman. That was the longest laugh ride. Yeah, yeah. To do, but oh, God, that, you had to wait so long. Still laughing. Still laughing. It's just a dog. No, that wasn't. It was a very, very extraordinary moment. So, like Chris Barry there, who said one of his favourites was Marooned from Series Three. Me and my mate Sam years ago, we staged a live production of Marooned. I played Lister. Well, of course, being, yeah. being the, the I didn't, slob that you are. Didn't bother with a Liverpool accent, but apart from that, you know, it was, it was bloody brilliant. Performed it for three nights in a row in Guernsey in, I think, 2008. Did you pack out, pack out theatres? It was annoying, because the first night and the last night, yes, yeah. middle night, no, and that was when we filmed and we were shit. Well, it wasn't shit, but that was the shittest of the three. Um, but it's on YouTube in its entirety. We also did Bottom Live, wow. uh, the one in the Ferris wheel, we did that. Look it up on YouTube, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you something. Something I've never told anyone. Years ago, I went to a school trip in Macedonia to the site of Alexander the Great's temple. As soon as I got there, as soon as I stood on those stones, I felt, I felt like I was home. Years later, I got friendly with a hypnotherapist, Donald. He said that he could regress me back to my past lives when I told him about the Alexander the Great thing. I was dubious at first, but I let him put me back. And it turned out my instincts were absolutely correct. I had lived a past life in Macedonia. That palace was my home. Because you see, Lister, 
in a previous incarnation, believe it or not, I was Alexander the Great's chief eunuch. <laughs> I mean, he didn't tell me I was Alexander the Great, which is obviously what I wanted to hear, but, but it explains so much being that close to one of the greatest minds in history. No wonder the military is in my blood. No wonder he's such a good sin. I mean, maybe it's top, I don't know, but whenever I look at a pair of nutcrackers, I can't help but wincing. And whenever I win a group of women, I have this overwhelming urge to bathe them all in warm olive oil. Remember, I have that urge, but absolutely nothing to do with that. <laughs> my acting debut and conclusion of my program. <laughs> what, whatever the opposite of a debut Finale. is, end you. Yeah. So looking ahead at uh, series 12 in October, do you think they should continue forever? Because <laughs> another thing Doug Naylor has said annoyingly yeah. is that there's never going to be an end. He's never going to write an end. Write the final episode. Of they're never going to like get back to Earth and that's the ending. So like just... all TV series have an end. Yeah. I think they're just going to keep going until they die. <laughs> Until yeah. they're not around anymore. Well, it's now, I think I think Craig Charles has said it, it's now grumpy old men in space, isn't it? Pretty much. Which... It's a shame because it would be good to just have a finale and have an end. Yeah. It'd be sad that it ends, but because yeah. there's there's rarely shows like this that last this long. Mm. Well, and and and, and the comeback and to have so many gaps in between. Yeah. yeah, I think I think it's definitely got a few more years in it because I think it, it it had a sort of a bit of a stumble when it came back as we yeah. discussed with Back to Earth, and then ten was pretty good. Eleven, so you say is great. Yeah. So. Hopefully twelve because they filmed eleven and twelve yeah. together, didn't they? So twelve will hopefully be great as well, and then it's definitely got like a few more years in it yet. And you know, and Craig Charles he quit Coronation Street, yeah, <laughs> to focus on Red Dwarf. So they're clearly they're you know they're all in at this point. So I think it's got a little bit of life left in it yet. Well, that's about everything you need to know about Red Dwarf. Everything you need to know about Red Dwarf. <laughs> um, I thoroughly enjoyed going through this again. Um, I, if you haven't seen it at all, any of it and you like your sci-fi and you like your comedy yeah. you should watch it from the start and then you should uh, you should watch it all from the start then come back and listen to this yeah. and it'll be a little it'll be, more comprehensible yeah, you'll enjoy it a tiny bit more Le- yeah, you'll yeah. enjoy it a tiny bit more it'll be a little less unintelligible so um, thanks for joining us again thank um, you we're, you can get all our old episodes and go on iTunes and subscribe and rate us and all those kinds rate of stuff. us review us yeah do all that we're also on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Instagram now because we're down with the kids yeah, and every all one of those we're at Two Geeks Cast so find us on there mm. and uh, email us as well which is podcast at two geeks two beers dot com yes suggestions yes. for uh, future episodes if, if you'd care to send us those mm-hmm. uh, and f- feedback feedback we're quite lonely people. We are quite, we're quite, we're quite lonely. Just, yeah. just give us some, some human contact. Yeah. And if you're a podcast maker yourself, we do have a little promo which you can download from the website. And if you want to give us a message, we'll be, be more than happy to play yours as well. So give us a, uh, uh, an email there. So what are we going to do next time? Next time, uh, I, I'm taking the reins again. It Yes, it's another comic book TV <laughs> series, but there's a reason there for it. Reason. It's an anniversary. Yeah. It's the 25th anniversary of Batman. The animated series, so we'll be delving into that in the next episode. All right, well, we look forward to that, and we'll end with, uh, had to be, the closing closing credits. What else can we have? Sung by Jenna Russell. This is the full-length version. Wow. uh, Of a bizarre theme when you listen to the lyrics. It has nothing to do with it, but it's so catchy, Uh, you couldn't do it without. So, yeah. See you later, and cheers. Thanks very much. Cheers. That was the most uh, sort of underwhelming ending of all time. <laughs> see you later, see you later, and cheers, I guess. Bye. Bye. Bye.